Good morning, everyone, and welcome to FBC. Uh, my name is Kyle Burke. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC Benicia. I'm the youth pastor, and I just can't wait to meet with you guys this Sunday morning and worship God as a digital community, a local community. I know there's a lot of people from our church signing on. Um, if you are actually new here, I would love to welcome you and just say thank you for joining us. Thank you for checking us out. Um, we are just excited to have a platform that allows us to reach more people than we uh, previously thought. And so we just thank you for being here. We do have an, an option for you to get connected with our church. Even though it's digital, um, it'll still provide you with a lot of opportunities uh, coming forward. So it's called the connection card. Uh, we have a digital link in the chat. Just click on that, fill out your your uh, information about your, your, your family, uh, your needs, uh, prayer requests, uh, opportunities that you have uh, to help us serve or for us to serve you. And then also, um, just in general, you'll get more information uh, about events that we're hosting either on Zoom or uh, we're doing a lot of Bible project videos or we're launching our alpha program. So just please uh, click on that link, sign on in and get to kind of get to know us and, and for us to get to know you and also for you to jump in with all these cool opportunities that are coming up as we are sheltering in place. So thank you so much and uh, let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness amidst this crisis that you are allowing your church to still connect and worship you and see friendly faces and find joy in approaching your throne on a Sunday morning via digital technology and just having this idea that we are all bound by your spirit, that no matter where we are from each other, you are with us and you are binding us together as your body, as your worshipful community, as your children. Please help us enter this time with um, open hearts. Help us hear what we need to hear and receive what we need to receive from you, from your word. Please help me get out of the way. Help this uh, digital experience uh, be helpful and help everyone here enjoy your amazing story that you spoke through Paul in the Galatians letter. Thank you so much for who you are. We pray that you bless our time here. In your son's holy name, amen. Well, welcome again. Uh, today we will be talking about Galatians. We'll be continuing our series in Galatians, and we are just in the, in the, in the real early stages. So if you're joining us for the first time, you haven't missed out much. Check out last week. Matt did a great job introing Galatians. Well, we are in a strange point in history, are we not? We are in a point of history that I don't think we can go back from. There are tons of these moments that we've seen in history books where everything changes from that point on. World War II, uh, plagues, uh, people coming into, into power that shouldn't be, like Caesar. America coming into its own nation. You know, there are times when the world changes and this phrase um, becomes true for us. This phrase that I've heard around in pop culture and articles and, and in church sermons, new normal. When the new normal arrives, Everything changes. Everything is no longer the way it was, and we have to adapt and improvise and grow into this new normal. Now, I love that idea because we, I think normal is a strange word in general. Is there such thing as normal? Is there such thing as common, uh, regular, that will never shift? Uh, not so often in our world, right? We always have to be flexible, but in these times of crisis with COVID-19 and the fallout from that socially, politically, financially, we're going to have to embrace this new normal. Now, let's not just get in there and say, you know what, yeah, 
gone is the old, let's in with the new, there is a period of mourning, of loss, that we have to acknowledge in this time. Uh, it sucks thinking about things not coming back um, and being recognizable, being comfortable. But we need to be real, like realizing that our foundations can't be shaken during this time. I, I feel like a lot of us are in a space, maybe week to week, our, our foundations of life, our home life, our work life, our extracurriculars, our, our things that we like to do, the restaurants we like to eat at, those are being stripped away. And what that can do is that can start fracturing and shifting the foundations that we've built our life on. Now, the word foundation can mean anything, right? You, you can have a, an understanding of how you run your financial uh, uh, bank account and all that stuff, your, your assets, and now that's being shaken up. So that foundation of your life that you've stood on is being cracked apart. Or maybe just the way your family's run. You got into a good rhythm and all of a sudden everyone's in your home and you're having a hard time working from home or, or having a hard time parenting the kids without losing your temper. Now that foundation is breaking. And it's funny because as I was preparing this sermon, um, our literal foundation to our apartment was discovered to be compromised. Like literally on Tuesday, we found out that there was a big crack in our apartment on the floor of our living room and kitchen caused by a leaking pipe. And we had not known that there was a big problem. We, we don't have floor heating, but there was a section of floor that was really warm for about a month. And our son found this out. He's three years old and he would wake up in the morning and he would say, I'm cold. And then he would lay down on this, on the ground. And we we're like, what is he doing? Oh, he's warming up. We, we found out like he's actually getting warm by the ground and we don't have warm uh, floor heating. What's going on? So uh, we had a bunch of other work orders for our apartment to be fulfilled. And so by the time we got to this, the floor, it had already cracked. And now my wife and I, with our four-month-old baby and our three-year-old boy, we're going, what's next? Our whole <laughs> uh, crisis plan, our whole shelter-in-place plan has been interrupted. We are now in a, in a scary, difficult, and honestly unfair situation. And so what are we going to do with that in light of the rest of the world? Are we going to are we going to give up hope? Are we going to um, shift and, and lose kind of sight of what's next and just kind of panic and do survival mode? Well, we, I won't answer that now, but in Galatians, we see that something very similar to COVID-19 or, or my own personal illustration is happening to the spiritual foundation of the churches in Galatia. Um, the Galatian churches were brand new baby churches and they were being attacked at their very core, their beliefs were being rewritten and reshaped by these alternate preachers, these people called Judaizers, the, these people that are trying to syncretize the Christian faith with the old Jewish religious system, and they were trying to say both can happen, and in fact, that's the only way that God is pleased. And so Paul is having to write this letter to defend and protect his brand new baby church that is in this whole region, and if he doesn't get um, this letter across and it's not received, big things can change spiritually for that region forever. So let us jump in to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen. And we will be reading pretty much just from, from chapter 1 today. Uh, we'll have some other references to Galatians uh, because we're kind of looking at it at a, as a whole picture, but really focusing on Galatians 1, 6 through 10. So it'll be up on the screen right now. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one you called to live in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I love this next part. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. We're entering a crisis of faith with Paul, his beloved church, who he has birthed out of a labor of love, is being attacked. He's writing to his spiritual children the fruit of his first mission trip, his first missions trip across the Roman-owned world. He spent 18 months preaching the gospel. And miraculous things happened. These people who never were included in the story of God before under the Jewish um, system are now being shown Jesus Christ. And they're blown away. They're just completely in in shock that, that God wants them and the same God that has carried throughout history and who has protected and, and bolstered and, and, and led the Jewish people wants them to join his family. Paul is having an amazing explosion of faith and he's spreading this new normal of Jesus. Jesus has come and he's created a new reality, a new normal, and he's inviting everyone into it. But this wasn't just a Disneyland adventure for Paul. This wasn't a easy peasy trip with just like people coming to faith all the time and him getting just bonuses and raises in the Jerusalem church like, go Paul, go, you got this bro. No, it wasn't like that at all. In fact, in Acts 9, 15 through 16, which will be up on the screen, um, Paul's conversion story, right before he, he speaks uh, submission to God, God reveals to the servant who's coming to heal Paul from blindness a hard truth. He said, this man is going to be my champion to the world. He's going to speak to kings, but he's also going to suffer much for me. Paul knew this, which is not a good deal. Let's be honest. If, If someone was like, hey, you're going to be a Christian. You're going to be this amazing person. You're going to change the shape of the world. And you'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah, these are great. Well, one, two, three. Okay, what else? What else can I add to this list? And they would tell you, oh, you're really going to suffer. And so much so that you're going to perfect the sufferings of Christ in your own body. And you're going to suffer for a lot longer than you think you can. Oh, a lot of us would maybe rethink that decision. But for Paul, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He went from persecuting the church. He went from killing Christians to saving souls with the power of the Spirit. And he knew it was worth it because he, he had a long history of being his own king and being his own God under the religious Jewish system. So he's like, anything for you, Jesus, I will pour out my blood and my body for you. And so as he preaches this new normal, guess what? People don't necessarily like it. Just like anything that changes in our world, it's not easy to accept something new without a lot of pushback. And so these Judaizers are following Paul around. They're following him around his entire mission trip, and they are inciting the people that he's preaching to. They're inciting them to riots and to kill, try to kill Paul. And in fact, in Acts 14, 19 through 20, it'll be up on the screen, um, Paul was stoned to death almost. Well, the people that stoned Paul thought he was dead. And 
I don't know about you, I've never seen someone get stoned, which is amazing and a blessing, but those people knew what it was like to kill somebody by stoning, and they were probably pretty 100% sure Paul was dead. <laughs> so let's be honest, it's like they, they stoned him, they're like, oh, he dead, like he ain't getting back up, and then he gets back up, right? So Paul's life isn't easy. This guy was stoned to the point of death. God raised him up like the Terminator, like, I'll be back, must preach the gospel, and then he goes back in and preaches, this guy's indomitable. His life is in the hand of God, and God will not let him leave until he gets his job done. So this is the Paul that came to Galatia, the Paul that was ruined physically, that had scars, that had wounds on his eyes in, in, in Galatians 4, 12 through 14, and Galatians 6, 11, if you want to look at those up, Galatians 4, 11 through 4, uh, 12 through 14. In Galatians 6, 11, it, there's, there's references to Paul's ailments and physical disability when he came to Galatia. He was weak. He was bruised. He was broken. And in fact, he, when he writes the letter, he still has damage to his eyes. He says, look at with, with what large letters I am writing to you. I'm blind. I can barely see, but this is so important because you are my kids. He's trying to defend his message, himself and his God, to people that had already accepted him and loved him. And so this was not an easy letter. This is a heartbreaking last chance to keep his people from falling and spiraling into spiritual death. And so we're going to talk right now about this idea of a dangerous compromise, how, how this whole scenario was supposed to play out and what Paul was fighting against. And so up on the screen, you're going to see a slide. This is a dangerous compromise. We're going to be talking a little bit, breaking down the text. And we're going to start out with the point, them's fighting words. Because Paul is a papa bear. He's a dad. This is his spiritual family. These are his spiritual kids. And he is not going to take this, this wickedness lying down. He's not going to say, hey, kids, I, I'm not going to stand in the gap for you. I'm going to stand in the gap for you more so than anyone else because I'm also your spiritual dad. And the way he defends his kids, and if you look at the text again, he says, um, there is no other gospel, right? He says, I am so astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he tweaks that. He says, which is really no gospel at all. Paul's saying there is no other good news out there better than the news I just told you. Because the gospel means good news. Paul's telling these people, I gave you the best news. I gave you the law of the universe that has been twisted and shaped and remade under Jesus. This is the only way it works now. And it's the best news because that means you and I can be a part of this. You can't improve that. You can't change that. You can't alter that. And everything else that you would hear against that is a lie, is a straight lie. You can't alter God and his word. As much as we want to, right? Humans want to all the time. We were like, that was a hard one. If I could just make that more palatable, then, you know, then I'll be more likely to obey and listen. And the saddest part about this is he spoke this plainly to the Galatians originally. He spoke plainly to them saying, hey, here's what's happening. Like, this is who Jesus is. And they were like, okay, we'll wholeheartedly receive you, Paul. We totally trust you. And so he's baffled that they have already so quickly deserted this news, this good, good news. It's not like he was sharing some family recipe of falafels that he just really felt was the right way to make falafels. And the, and the Galatians were like, these are good falafels, man. And he's like, I know, right? And then the Judaizers come in and they're like, no, 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 no. You heard Paul talk about his falafel recipe? Check ours out. And then they gave them fast food version of falafels that are just bad for your body and make you sick. 
It's not something silly like that. This is the core. Without this spiritual foundation of the gospel as good news, this church would splinter and die and break into heretical cults. This whole region could be the end of the Gentile expansion because Paul was called to go into the Roman world and spread the gospel. And if he couldn't, Galatia was kind of buffering the Greek and Roman side. And if, if he couldn't get Galatia to, to take, then he wouldn't really have an opportunity to go into uh, much harder areas in the future. So this is a do or die moment. And so what, the Jude, what are the Judaizers and what are they saying? The Judaizers are very interesting. They're Christians, supposedly, who are also living under the Jewish law. And so they're saying something that is borderline persuasive to these people at the time. They're saying, hey, listen up. We're Jews. We know that Jesus is a Jew. He came from us, right? Both Old and New Testament can be brought together. You just need to still remember there's a reason that we kept these rituals. There's a reason that we kept these important things that we've done. And so follow us and God's favor will be upon you. And so is Paul nitpicking here? Is this like uh, a nitpicking situation? Our next section is going to be called discernment versus nitpicking. Is he, is he just being kind of cranky? Is he really making a mountain out of a molehill here? Like, what's the big deal? If Christianity and Judaism have the same roots, if they have the same lineage, if their scriptures tie together perfectly, then why, why can't Christians go back and kind of fall under these, these rules, these, these important rules that, the, that Jews have held up for millennia? Is this nitpicking? Why can't we be more modern, Paul? Why can't we think that there are more, multiple ways to the same end because the first way wasn't bad. It, still, it worked, right? It worked, right? Right? Well, let's talk a little bit about compromise first. Compromise is not bad, right? It is not an inherently bad thing. In fact, every healthy relationship, you know, friendship, marriage, dating relationship, thrives or dies on the ability to compromise with one another. Because at its core, loving compromise is a... Uh, humble approach to the other person. How can I help you? How can I change to, not, not like change my core, but how can I change my habits to help you and show you that I love you? And in fact, compromise can be understood as flexibility, conscious, purposeful flexibility for the weaker person. Um, Paul does this really well. Paul knows compromise incredibly well. He was a, a, a a star intellect. He was trained in the best Gentile uh, Roman fashion. He was trained in the best Jewish tradition. He was a genius. He was perfectly good at his pharisaical job. He was an amazing man. And he, when he went on his missions trips, he didn't go in proud, boisterous, greater than language. He actually compromised who he was. He compromised his culture. He compromised his, his communication style. And he compromised his comfort for the sake of the gospel. He came to these people and he said, I will put away these things that I've done my whole life, like eat certain foods, and I'll eat the foods that you have because I know Christ is bigger than that, and I want to I connect with you. I'll use language that you can understand. I'll approach the world from your level. And then also, I will um, live outside. I'll live as a homeless man. I'll, I'll work my fingers to the bone to make this mission trip work because I want to make sure that you know that I'm in this for real, that I am 100% believing what I'm preaching. I'm a man who, who preaches that Christ suffered for us, and I'm going to suffer for you to, to get that message across. So Paul is no stranger of compromise. And I think that's kind of what the Judaizers are hoping 
these Galatians will see, hey, uh, this is just a compromise, right? Like you, you throw us a bone, we'll throw you a bone, and it helps, it scratches everyone's back, right? Theologically, it's, it's, a, it's totally fine. You're helping us all out. But the reality is that this is not a compromise at all. It is a straight lie. So Paul's discernment isn't, he's not nitpicking. He's using his discernment and he's seeing through this compromise language and into the heart that this is a lie. These Judaizers are trying to attract these, these Galatians to their way of view. So I really want to pause quickly and talk about why was this so attractive? Um, the hardest part about reading the Old and New Testament is really getting into the mindset of these people. And in fact, I think this letter can probably be easier for us to understand than most because the Galatians are new, new to the faith. And what happens when you became a Christian in the first century, this is, you know, about 47, maybe 45 AD, is that you would, you would throw away those old customs, old religious beliefs, and you would follow Christ. And you would bind together as a church community and you would walk forward like that. But the problem there is that the culture around you was very unforgiving for people that would, that would leave the normal, that would leave how it's been done in the traditions. In fact, being a Christian was so dangerous that you would lose your social connection, your social standing. You might not even be allowed to shop in the marketplace. You might not even be allowed to vote or, or uh, join in political or social debate. You would be shunned, you would be ostracized, and you would be um, having to create your own separate community. And historically, the Jews, when they were thrust out of Israel after the Babylonian exile, they landed in all these kind of other foreign nations, and they were thrust out of those societies as well. So they would create these very homogenous and strongly knit communities around um, their, their worship to the synagogue, their food laws. And so the Judaizers are looking at these brand new Gentile Galatian Christians or Jewish Galatian Christians and saying, hey, doesn't it suck to be alone? Doesn't it suck to be on the outside? If you just listen to us, if you just kind of adhere to these laws, these Jewish ritual laws, you can hang out with the Jews. We'll support you. We'll be that support system to you. God and law. Jesus and tradition. Then you can come live with us. That's what was so attractive to these Galatians, and that's why they were so quickly fleeing their first love. They were trying to find another normal. They were trying to find a new normal that would support them, that, that they could put their faith and hope and trust in. And Paul says you cannot do that. He says if you believe anything that has been preached against what I preach to you, you fall under the curse of God. The curse of God is not a small thing. It's not a subjective thing that Paul is saying, well, curse you guys. You don't like me? No, he's not doing that. He's saying, if you do this, you're disobeying the new rules of reality, the new normal, and you are going to fall under judgment and curse. You're going to be outside God's favor. How would, why would you do that? I already told you the rules. I already showed you how amazing and open and accepting he is for you. Why would you throw that away to go back under these chains, these slavery chains that now no longer apply? Christ got rid of the law. He didn't get rid of it because he was bad, but he fulfilled it. He fulfills it and then he removes it and replaces ritual with relationship. He replaces the rituals with relationship with him and bringing people to the throne room of God so they can intercede for their, their loved ones and he can hear them through Jesus Christ. You cannot make truth more truthy with bells and whistles and ritual. 
right? Jesus Christ died and rose again and now reigns in heaven on earth so that the, the whole world can know him and become a part of his family and he can provide for his family. Basically, the Judaizers are saying, you know that God, the God that we worship to, he's all about what you do. So the only way he'll support you, the only way he'll give you uh, what you need is if you do the right thing. But Christianity doesn't say that. Jesus never said that. Jesus says, put your faith in me and I'll provide for you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I will do the heavy lifting. Just show me that you are going to repent from your sin and show me that you want me and love me. Like, it's not just a, like a worship me at all costs. It's like, I, I died for you. Don't you think that's amazing? Come on, like, let's do this together. So Paul is just bleeding and weeping here with his heart, trying to say, please, like, I didn't do this to serve man. He says at the end, am I now trying to win the approval of men? No, I came here because God sent me. God sent me at great cost to my body. Do you think I would have chosen these scars? Do you think I would have chosen to have been stoned? Heck no. Like, nobody wants to get stoned unless we're not talking about the, I'm just kidding, uh, legalized marijuana now in California and stoned change, uh, changes. You know, we, a random person can hear stoned and think weed, or they can think stones. So, hard way to preach in 2020 about stoning. I'm just joking. Uh, that was a random aside. Let's talk a little bit about how this can impact our lives in 2020. Because that was all good information, right? That was really interesting. Maybe Hopefully it was interesting for you. Very interesting for me to, to think about, to study, to go, man, Paul's heart for these people is broken. And he wants them to see that their spiritual foundation, the thing that they've built their, their, their literal lives on, because the, their spiritual foundation influenced their physical world, right? These people, by changing allegiance from the pagan gods to Jesus, have have given up something of their physical world and comfort to follow Jesus. So he's like, this is so important. And I think this is an amazing message for us in 2020 as we shelter in place from COVID-19. Why? Well, we are sheltering in place for our physical safety. All of us in this, in this community right now online, we, are, we've, we have found ways to protect our physical homes and our physical families. We, we have gone to Costco and braved those lines. We have bought 8,000 rolls of toilet paper. We're probably down to 4,000 by now. But hey, if we really stop taking dumps, maybe we'll make it all the way through this thing. And we have, we have readjusted our work schedule. We, we've tweaked our home offices into our closets and our kids are being homeschooled and it, everything has shifted and we're trying to provide this physical safety and, and support. And I want to say that is really good and I want to give everyone props that's doing that. And I want to say if you need help doing that, let us know as a church. We want to step into the gap for you. We want to say, hey, keep doing that. Keep people safe. We want, we want to stop this disease before it grows out of control. But Paul has said something to the Galatians that I believe is even more important than our physical shelter-in-place safety. He's saying, have you protected your spiritual and emotional health? Have you built a system, a belief, that is so firm upon an unshakable foundation that no matter what physical discomfort comes against you, you will survive and thrive because God is on your side and you trust him? You see, isolation and confinement are historically terrible. Terrible for the human spirit. Like, it's not like we all gain strength and become monks overnight. No, it just breaks us down. It reveals the weakness in our character. It reveals our impatience and frustration and our inability to change. 
This whole new normal thing of COVID-19 and sheltering in place may have been fun for the first day or two days or three days, but I'm thinking probably right about now you're, you're going a little stir-crazy. And so I want to take this a time to really break down how this spiritual foundation that Paul is talking about hits us and how we can then go forward in, in faith with some practical advice and how to um, walk into this season of, new, of this new normal with a firm foundation to thrive in this time of crisis. So there are three takeaways that I uh, would call the ways to guard your spiritual home. Because right now you're guarding your physical home. So I think we should talk a little bit about ways to guard your spiritual home. And the first way we do that is we have to make sure our, fortif- uh, our foundation is fortified. So the first point is fortify your foundation. Now, what does that mean? Well, the average person in the world has some sort of spiritual or emotional or relational uh, uh, foundation that they are building their life on. Whether you don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord or you are, you're, you're building your life on something that hopefully doesn't shake or change too much. And you are going forward from that jumping place, that, that place of strength of self, that gives you self-esteem, that gives you worth and purpose. But in times of crisis, sometimes we let that go you know, and let that corrode a little bit, let that weaken a little bit because we're focused on the now, the immediate, the stresses of the present, the physical toll that it's going to take on our family, the financial toll. And so one thing that we need to start doing, if you're a Christian, the way that you fortify your foundation is you remember what it is. It's Jesus. He's the solid rock on which we stand. He told parables about building your house on the rock, on him, and not on shifting sands. He will never change. He is seated on the throne. He is reigning as king of kings, and he is saying, everything is under me. I am the one in control. Nothing has surprised me. This whole virus, has I saw it coming, and I'm ready to provide you help and love and hope and peace in that, but you have to remember who I am. You have to remember that I am here, and I am looking down on you with love. Please look back up at me. Stop just looking at the dirt in front of you and worrying about the bugs and, and the, the insignificant things. Turn your gaze to Jesus. So the first thing we do is you ground your love in God. To fortify your foundation, you need to ground that love that you have into who God is. You need to practice thankfulness. You need to practice being thankful for everything that you have. Practice the thankfulness for all of the things that, that you were able to prepare for this virus. A lot of us are, are sitting pretty right now. It's like, like I said, we have like 4,000 rolls of toilet paper left. We are ready to go. I mean, with my story, the foundation of my house uh, is cracking, but it, there's no water, so we don't have to move right away. And they were telling us that pretty much um, it will be a pretty minor uh, procedure, all things considered, and we won't have to move. Boom! That's huge! I, I should be praising Jesus, and I am, saying thank you, Lord, that I don't have to relocate in the middle of this crisis. So practice thankfulness, practice worship. When we worship God through prayer, through song, through going on walks and just being in awe of his wondrous nature here in Benicia, what we're doing is we're taking our introspective worry and, and removing that, that kind of visor over our life, and we're looking up to heaven and saying, wow, you are good. You are amazing. You are in control, and I am so sorry for worrying. I'm so sorry for stressing about this, because you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And finally, and this is, I think, one of the most important parts, and what Paul was seeing with the Galatians was, is your spiritual foundation is solid, can be solid, but do you live what you believe? 
Or are you starting to compromise what you do out of fear or anxiety or this desire for control? The Galatians knew the truth, but then someone came in with a better truth. And they were like, hmm, I totally get this Jesus thing, but this guy speaks a good word. I, I, I think we should listen to these Judaizers. And I think in time of crisis, that's what anyone does, right? We start dealing in the different bits of information that are coming in. We start trying to sift through the truth and the lies. And so before all of that comes to a head, I want you to ask yourself, am I living what I believe? Am I trying to give my cares and worries to Jesus? Am I letting my anxiety rule my life? Or am I trying to give that every day, every moment to him and say, Jesus, you are king and I can't I can't rule the universe. I can't see you tomorrow. So I'm going to give that worry to you and I'm going to focus on what I can do right now to love the people around me. Because if, if your foundation and you're saying, I, I, I know Jesus, he's my king, he's my rock, but then you're showing your family and friends and, and your coworkers that you are just anxious and, and, or angry or frustrated all the time, then it really is a dis, discrepancy there. There's a hypocrisy there. And we don't want to be people with a, with a solid foundation but uh, messy homes. We want to be people that are rooted in Christ and that we're growing out of that and showing our fruit and our character out of who he is and what he's done. The second point, and I'm going to speed up these last two because they're kind of, uh, they kind of play off each other. But the second way to guard your home is to strengthen your walls. Strengthen your walls and your pillars. And what those are, are those are the relationships that are immediately close to you, that you're immediately in charge of. So if you have a family, that's what that is. If you have extended family, that's what that is. If you have friends that are really close or, need, or you're living with you, that's who that is. The walls in your life are those people in your life that are immediately close to you. And so how do we strengthen our walls? Well, first of all, you got to repair any holes. you got to repair those holes that you just punched out of, uh, out of panic, right? COVID-19 comes out, and we're really frustrated with our kids. COVID-19 comes out, and we're, like, uh, dis, dis, uh, discouraging to our fellow employees. Or we're, like, bringing our spouses down. Because, like, don't you do more? I'm tired, man. Like, I got I to gotta do work. Like, get those kids out of here and being harsh. Repair the holes that you've already done. We've all done them already. We've all caused damage in the immediate relationships in our life. You see, God is slow to anger and abounding in love. And he expects us to be a abounding in forgiveness and quick to ask for forgiveness. You know how you fix a hole in the wall? You admit like, yeah, I messed up. I punched a hole in the wall. And then you spackle it and you paint over it. And it may, may still be there with a certain sheen on the wall. You know how like when you walk into someone's house and there's light reflecting off the wall, you can kind of tell like if there was new paint. And so you'd be like, oh, somebody punched a hole in the wall. But if it's covered up, they're like, hey, they took care of it, right? You quickly forget. But if you see a hole in the wall at someone's house, you're like, how'd that get there? Did you punch or did you throw your brother's head through the wall? Quick story. Um, one time I was in the bathroom. I was probably about 12, 13 years old. And my, my uh, second brother, Josh, he was trying to break into the bathroom for whatever reason. He had a, a screwdriver and he was unlocking it. And I was panicking. I was trying to finish, uh, like pull my pants up. He breaks in, and I, like, screamed. I was like, ah, get out! And I grabbed him by the shirt, and I threw him into the wall, and his butt went right through the bathroom wall. Like, and he's, he had a big butt, so it was probably about that big. And so we had a huge butt wall, a hole in the wall, and then we eventually put, like, this cardboard thing over it, and it had, like, a picture of Josh's butt. It was pretty stupid. But, yeah, we should have just fixed it. And that's my point. Fix the holes in your walls in those relationships that you've already damaged. And then, here's the, here's the harder one. Because I have a three-year-old at home, and this one is the hard one. You need to start removing the rot from your walls. 
So I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad now, right? I'm with, with my family. I'm working from home. I love my son. I love my daughter. And I love my wife so much. And my son is just this amazing, bright kid. If you, if you ever meet my kid, you'd be like, this kid is sharp. He's cute. He's witty. He's emotionally available. But when he's home, he gets frustrated at not being able to go out. He, he's a rigid kid about schedule. And so when things change, he just can't cope. And he's been really hard to be around recently, just difficult. And what, what has happened is, in the beginning I had understanding, but this is almost a full week and a half, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with his attitude. I'm done having to fight for every inch with this kid, and I've become bitter and frustrated at him, I, more than I would love to admit. He is, this three-year-old is, is testing my character. This three-year-old is testing my patience. He is causing me to, to, to cry out to God hourly, hourly, sometimes by minute by minute, going, my wife and I will go into the room and go like, give us strength, give us patience, he's so difficult. Uh, and so I want to say, get ahead of that game, start removing those, that rot within the walls, the, the, dis, the discouragement, the bitterness that is taking root in either of your hearts. You know, if, if you've been short with your kids, they're getting, they're getting frustrated, they're getting, they're getting angry at you, they're getting like, why is mom and dad being so unfair? And vice versa, if they're being rude to you and you're going like, I can't deal with this right now, I got to work, and you get bitter and angry in your heart. Go remove that. Remove the rot in, in the walls of the relationships in your life. And that will be one way you guard your home. And then finally, so we have uh, fortify your foundation, strengthen your walls, and then finally serve your neighborhood. Because guess what? Your neighborhood is your spiritual community, local and global. So if you're a Christian, that means all the Christians here in Benicia and Vallejo and Martinez and Fairfield and also the globe. And if we are not able to band together in love and gentleness and support and encouragement, we have failed. We have lost. And my example is you need to put out fires. Number one, put out fires. Because one house fire may seem like just one house on fire. But if the whole neighborhood doesn't band together and take care of it, it will spread and burn the whole neighborhood down. Put out the fires. If you know some family or, or, or couple or single person is suffering, go help them. Figure out a way to be encouragement, to call them, to pray for them over the phone, to go drop off goodies at their house if they let you, if they're not immunocompromised. So put out fires. And then finally, we need to do what Jesus said in John. And at the end of John, he teaches his disciples how to pray. But he also says, you, they, the world will know me. They'll know about me by your love for one another. The world will know about me by your love for one another. And so overcoming this crisis, not with, with grit and determination or with survival instinct, but we need to overcome it with love. We need to just show the world that the church is so in love with each other, that we're so in love with our families and friends, and we're so supportive that everyone goes, wow, I want to be a part of that community. I want to know why they're different. I want to know why Jesus means something to them and has impacted their life. You see, friends, God looks at us in a time of crisis, and he says, I know it's hard. Jesus was a man. He suffered hunger. He suffered loss. He suffered his family rejecting him. He suffered his society, his friends rejecting him. He knows what it's like to be alone. So he's not discounting or throwing away the loss that comes with this new normal. But what he is saying to us today, he's, is he's saying, he's saying, don't just survive in a time of crisis. I want you to thrive in crisis because it's not about you. It's not about how much you can do and your strength. 
It's about who I am. And if you let me lead you, if you let my spirit pour peace and hope and comfort into your life, you won't just survive, you'll thrive. And you'll bring life out of other people. You will start creating this abundant life in your own family and in everyone around you. So my friends, I encourage you, spend the time, look at these three things, your foundation, your walls, and your neighborhood, and see, am I being responsible as a spiritual person? Am I being responsible as a fellow Christian? And is there ways that we can start thriving? If it's, if it's your foundation, start there. Start learning to praise and be thankful and worship. If it's your family and you really, you've done some damage or you know that you're crumbling, start there. Fix those holes and rot in your walls. And if, it's, if you're kind of like, your home's functioning well, go into the, the church locally, figure out how you can help, how you can encourage. Because we need to be people that thrive in a time of crisis. So right now, um, that's all I got for you, uh, but don't leave because we're going to enter a time of worship next. We're going to, um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a song, and uh, then after the song is one of our new things at FBC we're doing. Um, one of our favorite things on a Sunday morning is talking either before or after service. This is a really fun, loving community here, and so we wanted to provide a lobby experience, right? But we didn't want to call it the lobby because that kind of feels boring or, or work-esque, we wanted to call it the after party. So please, after I pray and after we worship God and give him glory and thanks for who he is and what he's done, we are going to go to Zoom. It'll be a link in, in the chat. We're going to go to Zoom and we're going to have a, an after party. We're going to celebrate with each other on a Sunday morning and we're going to see each other and encourage one another and worship God. So please join me in a quick prayer and then uh, we'll enter a time of worship. Dear Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you so much for Paul and what you've done with him, that you, you drew him out of a wicked and evil place and you turned him into your most effective servant. We thank you for his words that remind us that we need to make sure our, our spiritual foundation is solid and it's planted on you so that we can be people of good works, not because we're trying to prove anything or, or win the approval of others by how good we are, but because we are doing it from a place of love and we want to see the world changed by you and your love for the world. So please help us be people with strong foundations, strong walls, and strong neighborhoods. Help us so much, Lord, uh, in this time of crisis. And uh, we love you. In your son's name, amen. All right, so please join us for worship.